Morning, everyone. My name is Tim Porter, and I'm the senior pastor here at Faith Community Church, and it's good to be together. It's good to be in the room together. Thank you for joining us here in the room. And, you know, if you are here with us because we're baptizing today, baptism day is one of my favorite times of the year. A special welcome to you as well. And online, you might be joining us as well uh, to see someone you love and care about uh, getting baptized today. Thank you so much for joining us, and I uh, hope that it's good to uh, for you, a good experience for you to be here with us and to be together. Uh, like Shannon said... Uh, uh, earlier in the service, uh, I'm closing out our series called Life on Purpose, where we are looking at the life of Jesus and following after him in his mission with his mindset and uh, with his purpose for our lives and for his purpose as for us as a church. And today we're talking about the promise of living a life on purpose as Jesus has come to give it and as Jesus enables and empowers it. Uh, but before we, before I continue on with that and before I uh, before we do some baptizing together, uh, I just want to give you a little bit of an update on um, our beloved and great Pastor Tim Prince. Uh, he's our teaching pastor here at Faith Community Church. And if you're new to Faith Community, I just want you to know that um, back in July, July 3rd, his family experienced a great tragic loss. His son, Ben, was killed in a, just a tragic, horrific accident. And um, they have been grieving well. As you know, grief is hard, and uh, we put Tim on an immediate, uh, or asked him to go on a, an immediate sabbatical so he could start the grieving process with his family and just be a son of God, a dad, and a husband for some time, just to be able to grieve and begin that grieving process. Well, uh, he is grieving well, and as you can imagine, those of you who've been through something similar to this, uh, grief never goes away. It changes at times, and it can sneak up on you, um, but grieving well, and Tim is looking forward to and eager to get back to teaching and preaching here on Sunday morning, and we're eager to have him come back as well. And he's going to be coming back, um, Lord willing, on September 18th uh, to preach his first sermon uh, for us. And uh, we're looking forward to that. And so, yeah. yeah. I didn't know you were going to be sitting there, Tim. I'm used to you sitting over there, and so you're throwing me off, brother. I love you. <laughs> Woo, yeah, thank you. Now I know where you are. <laughs> thank you. Um, life on purpose. Um, one of the themes of this series has been that, you know, when Jesus, when Jesus invites us into relationship with him and he, we start a relationship with him, he also calls us into the mission that he came for and that he is accomplishing. And one of the amazing things, I use that word a few times during the sermon, one of the amazing things about Jesus is that Jesus has come to save the world and he doesn't do it alone. He's done the work of the foundation alone, but then he calls us into it to help him in bringing the mission about. It's really quite amazing that God would do this. And in doing so, Jesus is after our happiness. Because as you may know, we're not made to just do the day-to-day. Just do the day-to-day. -day. The do, doing the day-to-day -day is important, and being faithful in the day-to-day -day is important. But you and I need, we're made for, and our happiness is tied to being a part of something bigger than ourselves. And Jesus calls us into that. We're calling that a life on purpose. Having Jesus' mindset. Experiencing Jesus' power. And today, hearing and receiving and living into the promise that Jesus has for us when we as a church 
keep in step with the mission that he's given us to do, which is to make more and better disciples of him and in his ways. Jesus started his mission with specifically calling three men to join him. Peter, also known as Simon, Peter, James, and John. And we're going to learn a little bit from their initial call. When Jesus just, when he first called them, what was it like? And what that means for us. Peter experienced a significant challenge from Jesus. And then Peter experienced a revelation, multiple revelations about who Jesus is and who he was with the promise of great abundance if he followed after Jesus and joined his mission. So that's what we're looking at today. We're on page 680 in the Bibles in front of you. We're going to read from Luke 5, 1 through 13. If you'd like to join in on one of the Bibles in front of you or online, uh, we'll have it on the screen as well for you to read along as well. Luke 5, verses 1 through 13. First one. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, the him here is Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, also known as Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Peter saw it, Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Now, I am not a fisherman. My family and I, we like to fish. We enjoy fishing. And once a year, we go to uh, a certain lake, and we've gotten to know this lake pretty well. And so we know when and where, at what time of the year, we can catch certain fish and what lures to use and what rigs to use. We've learned that over years in talking to people. My wife has a goal to catch a world record sunfish. Uh, I have, I mean, so her expectations aren't high uh, because it's a sunfish, but it's world record. And I, unfortunately, have not been able to deliver on that desire and goal. Uh, My wife grew up fishing with her grandfather, fishing walleye in northwestern uh, Minnesota. And so she's got that in her background as well. And I grew up fishing at times, dabbling uh, in uh, fishing with my grandfather, my dad, and those types of things. And so my, my family doesn't have high expectations of me when we go fishing. But if you've ever been around someone who is a professional fisherman or a guide 
or is they, they just eat, dream, and sleep fishing, you know that it's a whole different game. They know, they know what they're doing. In 1999, I had the opportunity to go with my father-in-law and brother-in-law up to Alaska to fish in the ocean and fish for salmon and halibut and lingcod and sea bass. And uh, we were in Seward, Alaska, and we had eight days of going out onto the ocean and fishing over and over and over again. And we hired a, 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 a guide, a captain of this big vessel, um, so that we could go out and just catch a bunch of fish. And we did. We caught all kinds of salmon, we caught the lingcod, we got sea bass, we caught halibut, all kinds of great fish. It was one of the best times ever. If you've not had halibut yet, you need to eat halibut. You need to just repent and go find some place to eat halibut. It's some of the best fish, personally, that I've ever had. One day we were fishing, and uh, we were fishing for halibut, and we, how we fished for halibut is similar to, for you walleye people, sort of like using a lindy rig, where you take this big weight and you drop your bait all the way down to the bottom of the ocean, so we're about 180 feet down, something like that, in the spot where we were, and you've got a hook that's dangling out there and going up and down as you ride the waves. Sorry for those of you who are making sick, you're now starting to feel sick, sorry about that. Um, but we, you know, we've got, we've got the, the bait on there, and all of a sudden, and as I'm fishing and um, hanging out and talking, I start to reel up because I'm just like, oh, we're not getting anything. I'm going to, you know, move around to the other side of the boat and see if I can catch something there. So I pull up and start to reel, and I'm stuck. One of the nice things about having a guide is that they save you from all the dumb things that you do as you're not a very well-experienced fisherman. And so I think I'm stuck, and I'm pulling up and doing all this kind of stuff. And again, the weight is like 150, 180 feet down. I'm just like pulling all over the place and trying to pull up and everything. And the skipper comes over. He finds what's going on. He's like, okay, let me check. Let me check it. I'm like, ah, I'm stuck. He takes it, and he pulls up this one smooth stroke like this, just pulls it up. And at the end of the tip of the lines, we see it go like this. And the skipper looks at me. And he says a lot of words that I'm not able to repeat in this moment right now. But I could discern this line, really big fish. And so we get me strapped into this leather belt so I can put the pole in there, and I start reeling. So I'm just pulling up, pulling up, pulling up, and we were finally able to bring in this fish of 150-pound halibut, six feet, uh, six feet tall, and we got pictures where it's like it's dwarfing me. I mean, this is a huge fish, and we're celebrating and laughing and joyous, and it's just like, ah, it was awesome. We, the whole ocean erupted with our joy. <laughs> now, what would it have been like if I was with that captain, with my experience of fishing, and I come up to him and say, hey, we're not really catching as much fish as I think we could. I've been watching some YouTube videos, and I think, I think I know where we can fish. In fact, you know what, I've been doing some plotting myself, and I think, and I've set some GPS markers down, and I think we can go over here and go over here, and we can catch some fish. The captain would look at me like I'm a knucklehead, right, and laugh at me. I don't know how you respond, I don't know how you respond if you're doing a job that you've been trained to do and you're doing it well and somebody who doesn't know how to do that job comes up to you and tells you how to improve it. You ever experienced that at all? If you haven't, you should be a pastor. It, it's, a great, it's really fun. You learn how to do it. No, no. I am very happy with all the input I get, just so you know that. I love input, right? I do. I really, really do. But that's pretty much what Jesus does in this circumstance. That's what Jesus does. Jesus is a carpenter, 
And he's been teaching in the boat. And the reason why he's teaching in the boat is that there's a crowd that's pressing him around him. And just like you and I might experience when we're on a lake up northwest someplace, um, and you can hear people talking on the other side of the lake, Jesus says, hey, put me out in the boat, Simon. Put me out on the boat, and uh, I can teach from there. And so Jesus has better acoustics, and his voice travels over the water, and so he's teaching from the water. But he's a carpenter. And he's interacting with professional fishermen. And these aren't fishermen who are just like trying to fish because they've studied it and they're trying, you know, they just really like the craft. And that. No, this is their livelihood. And so they both eat by this. And then any fish that they catch, they bring to the marketplace that they can sell so they can feed their family, put into retirement, all that kind of stuff. And these fishermen have been fishing all night. Those of you who work third shift, you know what this is like. They've been fishing all night. They haven't caught anything, so they're discouraged, not just because they didn't catch the you know, world, world record sunfish, it's just that we now, we're now out money out of all the investment that we just put into fishing all night. We're now out money. And now they're cleaning up their nets, they're mending them, and they're folding them up and drying them off so and putting them back in the boat so that then they can go home and get rest so that they can get up, do some chores, hang out with their kids, and then go back fishing the next night. And Jesus asked Simon to put out a little bit from the water. And then Jesus the carpenter, Jesus the carpenter speaks to Peter. And he says this, Simon, put out a little bit into the deep and let down your, no your net for a catch. Now again, these fishermen have been out all night. They are tired, they're exhausted. And to understand a little bit of the context, Jesus is asking them to do something that they know won't work. If you're catching fish with a net, you don't catch fish in the middle of the day with a net. You don't put your net out there because they can swim out from under it. They can see it. You fish at night with nets. Jesus is saying, in midday, I want you to go out a little bit deeper and I want you to throw this down. They're tired, they're exhausted. This is not how you fish at all for fish. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work at all. Now, principle in following Jesus. You know that you're following the real Jesus and not just a Jesus that maybe you've made up and hope might be there. You know you're following the real Jesus when Jesus asks you to do something that you think will not work. When he challenges you to do something that you are pretty convinced isn't going to work and isn't the right thing to do. In one sense, that's sort of what the gospel is like. The gospel of God, the good news of God, the gospel of Jesus is that Jesus has come into the world. He is God and he has come into the world as a human being to live for us and die for us and rise again for us so that we can be brought back into relationship with God. I don't think you're fully understanding the gospel if you're not scratching your head at one sense and going, this sounds ridiculous. And yet it's true. There's a passage from the Old Testament, a book of Isaiah, where God says, look, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts. 
We're dealing with a God who knows far better and far more than we do. And at times, he's going to ask us, command us, like Jesus does here, to do something we are pretty convinced isn't going to work. Will we do it? Simon, amazingly, says yes. He says yes to Jesus. He says, Master, we've toiled all night. We're going to come back to that phrase. Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. And then hear this, but at your word. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Here's the next principle in following Jesus. When he asks us to do things that we think might not work, it's a bit of a test. Are we going to risk obeying him without knowing how the results are going to turn out? Or are we going to do it just simply because he told us to? So it's like to follow Jesus. There are times. There are times when Jesus tells us, shows us how to live through the scriptures, through the gospels, through his teaching, shows us how to live when you're like, no, that's backwards. I don't think that's actually the way it works out. And what Jesus is doing is he's not going to tell us fully how things are going to work out. He's wondering and inviting us, are we going to risk obeying him and his way of life without knowing the outcome? That's what Peter does. That's what Peter does. Baptism is sort of like that. Today we're celebrating baptism. I've talked with people over the years like, I don't understand baptism. Why is baptism such a big deal? You know, Jesus tells us to be baptized as one of the first things of following after him. But why? I don't get that. One sense. I mean, we, we could talk about that. But in one sense, what Jesus is doing is saying, will you do it just because I told you to? Those of you who are parents, you know that one of the most prevalent questions you will be asked as a parent, especially when you ask a child or tell a child what to do, is what? Wow. Yeah. And sometimes Jesus doesn't tell us why. Just like you as parents at times don't tell your children why either. You just say, trust me. And do what I'm asking you to do. Sometimes we have to trust and risk obedience before we actually see the result in our lives of what Jesus has come to do. One quick example about this, especially up here in the upper Midwest. In the upper Midwest, a lot of us, not everybody, but a lot of us grew up in Northern European homes, and one of the things that we're very famous for as Northern Europeans is avoiding conflict. Oh, you know that, right? Yeah. Avoiding conflict. Well, if you take sort of our culture and our family system, our family dynamic, and how we have been raised, and then you also take, you also take some of our cultural influences and how our culture is trying to talk about how to have the good life. The culture is telling us in how to have the good life is to surround yourself with people who are continually affirming you and celebrating you. And if somebody hurts you, if somebody hurts you, or if somebody is critiquing you or, you know, bringing you down, you, know, you're, you have all the permission in the world to just sort of let them go and start over with another group of friends. That's a way to have the good life as Americans, as Americans and our American culture teaches it. Eventually, if you live that way, you're either going to have a very small group of friends or no friends at all. It doesn't lead to the good life. But then Jesus comes in and he's teaching something different about how to live a life that is, is inspired by his good news of forgiveness and reconciliation. And Jesus comes in and he says, look, 
the path forward, the path to live in the life that you've been given to live, it includes doing everything that you can when you have been hurt to seek out opportunities to forgive the people that hurt you. Now, to some of us, and depending on the size of the hurt, that sounds as crazy to us as Peter, hearing from Jesus, go put your net in the deep in the middle of the day. Will we do what Jesus called us to do? Now, there's success. Peter, James, and John actually have success. They've been fishing all night, and now they're doing something that Jesus said is really dumb to do as a fisherman, and now they have all kinds of success. And Peter now has a personal encounter with Jesus, because this isn't just about the crowds, and this isn't just about fishing. This is about an encounter with Jesus that Peter had. And a little bit of history with Peter and Jesus is that Peter has seen Jesus heal his mother-in-law. We looked at that last week from a disease that nobody else could cure. He's seen Jesus silence demons that are far more powerful than we are as human beings, that we can't stop in our own power. Jesus just says, shut up and get out. And they respond. But now this has become personal for Peter. He's just experienced Jesus do something miraculous that he doesn't expect and really doesn't believe that Jesus has the power to do. And now he experiences this abundance of this huge catch. Peter gets a glimpse of Jesus in a personal way that's personal to him, and he gets a glimpse of his own life and his own heart. Now you would think, I think, maybe I should say this, I would think that if I were Peter, and I just had the most successful day in world history of fishing, that with this one catch alone, me and my business partners, James and John, we can retire for a couple years probably and not have to fish again. I would be celebrating and rejoicing, but that's not what Peter does. He falls down on his knees and he looks at Jesus. Depart from me. You need to get away from me. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, Lord. Peter, when he gets a glimpse of Jesus and Jesus' power personally invading his life, he starts to see not only Jesus' beauty, not only Jesus' goodness, he starts to see his sinfulness at a level that he was really uncomfortable about. Depart from me. As he's in the presence of God himself, he moves from calling Jesus master at the beginning of this. Okay, master, we'll do what you tell me. I'll do what you tell me to do. Master to Lord. I'm not dealing with any normal human being right now. I'm dealing with, in one miraculous, kind of mysterious way that I don't figure out right now, I'm dealing with God right now in my boat. Depart from me. Now, this is amazing, too, because in one sense, we would want to prize and praise Peter. Like, Peter, Peter, you just, you just did what Jesus told you to do without any reason for it. 
And that's awesome. If Peter was my kid, he'd be like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And yes, keep doing that, Peter. Whenever I tell you to do something and I don't give you a reason for it, you just keep doing it. Peter did that and he obeyed, which is really good. But also Peter sees that there's still all kinds of unbelief and sin in his heart. Just even in how Peter approached Jesus, he led with a bit of a corrective to Jesus. Jesus, we've been fishing all night and we've not caught anything. But at your word, we'll do this. There's some unbelief there. Understandable unbelief. Jesus didn't need to be told what they were doing. He knows. He knows what they do for a living. He knows that they've been out fishing all night, and he knows that they haven't caught anything. Peter's letting him know, we'll do this, but I don't really fully believe that you're gonna, we're going to really catch anything. And Peter's heart is cut. I am a sinner standing in the very presence of the holy God of the universe in human form in my boat. You can tell that you're following the real Jesus because when you interact with him and you relate to him, he will start to show you what he's already seen and knows is there, the depths of the sinfulness of your heart and he's just gonna make it known to you because he wants to forgive it and deal with it. Now, Jesus came, and he tells us this. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And Jesus spent a lot of time. He was very comfortable with people that sometimes religious people, a lot of time religious people, don't have a lot of comfortability hanging out with. In fact, one of the things that the religious leaders charged Jesus with was was hanging out with the outcasts, the wrong people. Later on in this gospel, the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 15, Jesus is criticized. He's, he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus tells over and over and over and over again that he's come. He's come for the sinner. He's come for those who are irreligious, those who are immoral, those who the religious and the moral might look down on. He's come for them. That's his point. God loves us immoral and irreligious people. But Jesus has also come for moral, religious people who are lost. Peter represents that. Peter's a Jewish man. He's grown up with the festivals. He's, grows up with, he's grown up with the law. He, he's gone, gone to synagogue. He's a religious man. And he looks at Jesus and he starts to see just how far he is from God. I'm a sinner. Depart from me, Peter says. If you're investigating Jesus, I want you to know the last thing I or the faith community want to do is help you become a religious moral person. We want to help you meet Jesus. Have a relationship with him. And you'll do some religious things like praying and attending worship and that kind of stuff. But it's not about becoming religious. It's about becoming a relation, in a relationship with him and living the life that he's called to, he's come to give us. It's about relationship. If you want to talk more about relationship after the service, I would love to do that. Love to do that. Come up and talk to me. 
So as much as Peter gets this revelation of the sinfulness in his heart, we also see something very profound about Jesus. See, Peter knows that if he's a sinner and he's in the presence of God, he knows his Bible well enough to know that whenever God shows up and meets people and people feel the weight of their sin, God says something like this, you can't see me and live. You're going to be completely obliterated as a human being because you're so sinful and so pure. But notice that Jesus doesn't say, yeah, Peter, you should probably leave. He says, don't be afraid, Peter. If Jesus is really who he says he is, he's the Holy One of God who's taken human form and come to be with us. If he really is who he says he is, and he's got someone who's sinful in front of him, there's a sense in which Jesus should say to him, Jesus should say to him, depart from me. You should have nothing to do with me. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why can Jesus say, don't be afraid to a sinner in his presence? Why can Jesus say to you and me, sinners, in relationship to him, don't be afraid? It's because Jesus knows something that Peter doesn't know at this stage of, the, of his life. is that Jesus has come not simply to do miracles, not simply to heal people, not simply to exercise demons. He's come to put his life in the place of Peter's and to pay his debt. And so Jesus can say to Peter, don't be afraid. And Jesus can invite Peter into the mission and into relationship with him, even though he's a sinful human being, because Jesus has come to pay the debt that you and I owe for our sin. There's a hymn that I love. There's a line from it. Loud may the accuser roar, and the accuser in this line is the devil. Loud may the accuser roar of things that I have done. I know them all and thousands more. The Lord knows none. Why? Because they've been paid for. At the core of the gospel-inspired life, the core of following Jesus is mercy and forgiveness and the statement, don't be afraid. In Jesus, you can be in the presence of the Holy One of God and know your sin and not be afraid because Jesus knows the sin no more. It's amazing. Amazing. Peter experiences, as he's called into ministry, an abundance of fish. Now, Peter, again, I think is an amazing man here, because if I was in Peter's shoes, I'm pretty sure that when I saw Jesus tell me to go and fish over here, and I bring in enough fish to set my family up securely for many, 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 many months without having to work, I would find some way to say to Jesus, Jesus, can we do this again tomorrow? 
But that's not what Jesus does. On the, or that's not what Peter does. On the greatest fishing day, the most successful day, how many of you have had just amazing financial successful days in your career and you thought about leaving it all behind? That's what Peter does. He sees the bounty. He sees the abundance. He sees all this fish and he doesn't think, how can I get Jesus to get me more money? He thinks, how do I join in with what Jesus is calling me to do? Because there's something bigger than money. Money's important. Careers are important. But there's something more that Peter is being called into. The abundance of Jesus is amazing here. Jesus has just set Peter, James, and John up and their families for months without having to work so that they can join him on mission and learn how to be disciples of him and help teach other people how to do that. But even in this miracle of this abundance of fish, we read this, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Their nets were breaking. They realized Jesus is doing something here that this is not just about Peter. This is about the mission that Jesus has come to do. It's not just about fish. It's about all the people that Jesus is going to send Peter, James, and John, and the other disciples, and you and me into the world to catch people alive. There's a word that Jesus uses here to talk about fishers of men. He's calling us to be people who catch people alive. The devil, we're told in the scriptures, is someone who's is taking people captive dead. Jesus is freeing people by making them alive. And he's doing that through you and me as we follow after him. There is an abundance in front of us if we are faithful to do ministry and mission as a church and individuals. To see more people who become better followers of Jesus and more people who meet Jesus. In one sense, faith community, we're an example of the Lord's abundance and what he promises. We started, this church started in the 1980s. Big hair. Few people in a room. And now we're a thousand people. Abundance of what we can do when we're faithful and what Jesus promises to do through us when we're faithful. And today, we're celebrating a ministry fair and there's in the refuge room right after the service, as Shannon has already mentioned, there's a bunch of different ministries in there at Faith um, that, that are here, led by people who are here to serve and are taking a step to lead ministry so that you and I can either uh, meet Jesus for the first time or learn how to follow Jesus and grow to him or, or have ministries where we can bring friends and family members to meet Jesus and grow to be like him. And what I want to do is I want to wrap up our time here before we baptize with just praying for all the leaders in the ministry that's going to be taking place this fall. This fall. And then after I pray, I want to ask you to warm ourselves up for when we baptize. When we baptize here, when someone's coming up out of the water, we give everybody a standing ovation each time. And what I'd like to do is I'd like all of us as a church just to clap and celebrate all the different leaders who are leading these ministries, trying to be faithful to what God's called them to do so that more and more people can meet Jesus and grow to be like Jesus. More and better disciples. Okay, so let me pray, then we'll clap, then we'll transition to baptism. Father, thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy. God, we're about to launch 
more ministries this fall than we've been able to do for the last couple years. And I remember, Father, that when the pandemic began, I remember some of the best researchers are saying it's going to take about two and a half years before we have any kind of semblance of normal. And we all know that some things have changed and might not ever be the same. But we're about to step into a season of ministry that we've been longing for and waiting to happen. And I just want to thank you, God, and and honor you for all the people who have been faithful throughout these last couple years and now all the people who are stepping up to lead in ministries that are new this fall. God, we ask as a church gathered together that you would please cause there to be a great deal of abundance. That more and more people would grow to be more like Jesus because of these ministries. That more and more people would meet Jesus because of these ministries and because of these leaders and servants that are involved. We ask God for your bounty and your abundance. May the St. Croix Valley look a little bit more like the kingdom because more and more people are meeting Jesus and living out his way of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.